stage once again. I am Jared. And I'm Adam. What's up? We've got brand new laptops. That's what's up. New uh, new Mac day is a fun day, you know? You, you just sit there and wait. Like, I know we waited for sure for weeks for the mail. In mm-hmm. my case, I had a delay. You got yours early. I was super jealous. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought I was going to, like, get mine way delayed, but it was only a few a few days delayed. It was waiting customs inside of North Korea. South Korea, not North Korea. Gosh. Nah. It was a North Korea situation for sure, but it was South Korea. My bad. <laughs> so I think it went from, like, uh, Somewhere in China to South Korea, hung out there for 10 days, and then made it its way over here to Houston. But Yeah, I got mine a few day. days earlier than you, even though I think you ordered before me. I think yeah, you I think like the a day or the night before. before. Yeah. And uh, I made sure to take a picture of the unboxing and put it in our Slack just to rub it in your face a little bit. I've, I did zero pictures of the unboxing. <laughs> that wasn't the real reason I did it, just to share the moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did like that part. I, I like that in Slack. And I was like, dang it, man. He's he's playing with it a weekend, and I'm just sitting here wishing it was at my doorstep. So it works out. Yeah, so as we record this, I've had mine uh, a full work week. So I got it. Mm. Today is Monday, November 22nd, as we record. Yeah. I received it the Saturday before last and didn't really do much all over the weekend. Just opened it up and looked at it and set it aside. I think I actually did boot it up on Sunday and start to just dork around a little bit, but started setting it up last Monday. So I've had about a week's worth of activity, which is just probably just a couple of days more than you, right? Yeah, I got mine on Tuesday. Could not resist setting up that day. So I did. Um, and I think I was ready. We recorded with Jessica Lord the very next day and I was right. ready. My new machine was up and ready to You're record the very next day. It was mostly about curiosity, like how much will I have to limp along on the other machine mm. in between? Because of the, I mean, if it was any other Mac, Intel Mac, it'd be different. You know, easy swap out. This is a new processor. So going from Intel to the M1, uh, was Max, I guess? Yeah, the M1 Max. We maxed for us. it. We maxed it out. Mm-hmm. All the way, yeah. So it's a big upgrade storage. because of the ARM, the Intel from ARM to ARM transition. Mm-hmm. And we're also coming from different setups in the first place. So we're going to get into initial impressions and then how we set it up, what we've done so far, what we what we what we like, what we don't like, uh, yeah. what we're trialing, so on and so forth. All the all the fun details. But let's talk about where we were before this. So how big of an upgrade was this? Because that's going to color our initial impressions. And I'll just spoil mine like i'm mind blown because my working laptop up until last week was a 2017 13 inch core i5 a dual core 3.1 gigahertz dual core macbook pro with 16 gigs of ram so it's about five years old i guess that's four years almost you do the math yeah four years old enough not underpowered by any means until I started doing more audio and video editing. That's really where I feel it, of course, mm-hmm. as well as live streaming when I was doing those live Elixir sessions and I would have to compile code while running OBS and streaming to somewhere. Like That's where I really started to hit up against the power limitations of that machine. And so I've been waiting for an upgrade because I wanted this machine that I bought. 
I didn't want to go too early. I didn't want the MacBook Air edition. I knew the M1 last year was like brand new. There was going to be some transitionary time. You know, we still yeah. have, I don't know if you've hit the Rosetta thing already, but I have. Uh, installing Rosetta for certain things that aren't ported to the new architecture. But what are you upgrading from? I know you were, a, you were mm. on a beefier machine than I was. It's, you know, it's pretty similar. So I don't notice a ton of change really, um, except for apps loading super fast. Like Audition in particular would take quite a bit to load the plugins and you have that initial splash screen. That actually is super fast on the M1 Max. So I'm coming from a iMac Pro 2017, so similar year at least, but much different machine. More power. In this case, yeah. it was a yeah, it was a an eight core Intel Xeon W running at 3.2 gigahertz. Memory was massive, more than I have now. 128 gigs, uh, DDR4, 2660 or 2666 megahertz RAM. Graphics was decent. It had a Radeon Pro in there, a Vega Radeon Pro with. 16 gigs of graphics RAM. So it was a pretty beefy machine and similar storage was a terabyte of storage, which I'm now of the opinion that you should max out. You should max out your, your storage if you can. And if you don't need to go in our case, eight terabytes, I think that's more than we probably need. So we went with four, but I four. will forever regret buying an iMac pro with one terabyte of storage. It's just not enough for a pro machine. Like you just need. Yeah, I think the storage for me is the biggest upgrade because mm-hmm. I was on a half a terabyte. Disc. You were always doing the dance, weren't you? The storage dance. I was. Oh, I was doing it for years and like delete this and move that. Smart sync with Dropbox has been. I actually still, I'm using, I have so much storage now, but I was just out of habit. I'm like still smart syncing things. And I just kind of like having that control over Dropbox, but. I had to. I got down to where, like right now I'm looking at the old machines, got 55 gigabytes free, and that's on the high side of where I would live because we're always doing, you know, this audio production. So you're having new projects, old projects, so you're, you're shuffling through. Yeah. When you don't, you have a bunch of stuff that's like in production but not shipped yet. So I get down to like 10 gigabytes of free space, and then we have to ship a few shows, and I get to archive those off and get that space back. I mean, this has been a ditty. And I bet, now I got four terabytes. I don't even know what to do with all that. Just look at it and enjoy. Yeah. Well, the freeness. I think too then as well with the 2017, I bet you that uh, so the internal storage is in RAID. It's NVMe storage. And so it's like way faster than your previous storage even. Like it, sure, yeah, it was sure. storage. It was SSD. But in this case, it's NVMe SSD. So much faster interface. Um. They're probably in like a hardware RAID setup where you can't even control the RAID. It's just there like that, probably. I'm assuming at mm-hmm. least. I don't actually know. Even if it's not NVMe rated or NVMe SSDs are super fast anyways. But they're, I bet you if you did a, a speed test on it, it's probably 2,000 2, megabit, 2,000 megabyte to 3,000 megabyte read-write, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. I haven't done one yet. Yeah, I mean, I think my machine wasn't that much of an upgrade, honestly. And you know, I went down uh, RAM wise, but I think what you have with the you know the single chip design is probably makes up for that, where you don't need that much RAM. So I don't really feel a difference yet. I honestly think I had more RAM than you need. I think it's great to when you buy a Pro machine to buy more than you actually need because you want to grow into it. You don't want to mm-hmm. like hit your threshold like right away. You want to like 
have it for five years and enjoy it for five years and get all you can out of it and that kind of thing. So I think I really put that machine through its paces. But exporting has been faster. I've done some exports of Audition. So we have a process when we do our mix downs. Essentially, we have different plugins in place and it essentially takes all the tracks. In some cases, it's five to eight tracks per session. A session is a project, essentially. You mix those down. It takes all those and munches it into one single wave file. Then you take that wave file and you run it through a process called match loudness that exports an MP3 that's ready for, you know, broadcast. Essentially, it's got broadcast qualities at attached to it. It's got LUFs attached to it. You know, it's it's equalized, all that good stuff. But that process would take quite a while, even for my iMac Pro and for the M1 Max. It's just like so far, it's been really, really fast. I can't complain by any means. No crashes yet either. Well, that's always nice. Yeah. So initial impressions for me coming from the 2017, the first thing I noticed was actually something I wasn't even expecting to be an upgrade, which is the speakers. Oh, yeah. Those speakers sound good, man. Yeah. And I know you don't unplug very often, so we have you know studio monitor setups at our desks because, hey, we're audio people and we need to be able to hear all those details. But I go, I take my laptop away from my studio often, every weekend, take it down to the to the kitchen table for randomness. And oftentimes, even in the afternoons, if I've worked all day, I want to just go sit somewhere else. Maybe I'll sit on the front porch and work from there. And so I'm using the onboard speaker system probably more often than you are. Mm -hmm. And wow, the detail that you can hear coming off these Mac, this, this new M1 Max Pro it just blows. In fact, I, I lined them both up next to each other and played the exact same song. Like I, I, I timed my start button out. I had stereo going. And then I'd mute one and mute the other. It's so much better. Now wow. that's, that's also, that's like a four-year upgrade, right? Like they've been getting better year by year, I'm sure. But I've got this four-year gap and it sounds noticeably improved. Yeah. I wonder if the, the change really is just like simply a hardware change in terms of that or if they're able to put better stuff in there because there's more space with the the not need to have like the RAM over here and the CPU over there and the graphics thing over there where it's like sort of unified in, in a way where their hardware architecture can allow for maybe better acoustics potentially even. Mm -hmm. I know uh, uh, Rennie Ritchie covered some of this stuff in his videos, he's always going deep on like the specifics around that. So I'm sure that either he or MKBHD have gone there. So we're by no means Renee Ritchie or MKBHD. We just no. we're just we're just folks who enjoy our Macs and share the process of upgrading, which I think this was an interesting one, honestly. It really was. Cause it was uh you know, anytime you move to a new CPU type thing, it, this this architecture, you're gonna get bumps, especially when you go to the command line, you're installing homebrew and stuff like that. That's where really things begin to change. I believe Homebrew installs in different places and stuff like that now versus where before mm -hmm. I had installed. So initial impressions for me, though, are outstanding. I mean, I think the machine itself, the box, I mean, lifting up the box alone before even unpacking it, like the actual shipped box into my hands was like noticeably quite heavy. And I was surprised by that. Yeah. The box opening was different than any other box beforehand, all that good stuff. Uh, the machine is just very, very beefy because you could tell it's a pro machine, which I think is 
is interesting because they've always had the MacBook Pro line, but I think they went way pro in terms of hardware and it's just very, very dense yeah, with this build here. Like they didn't hold anything back. They weren't like, let's make the lightest thing possible. Let's make the thinnest thing possible. They meant, right. They were like, let's make the, the actual most capable machine possible and let the chips fall where they may when it comes to thinness or weight. That's my opinion, at least. Like it just feels. Yeah, it very, definitely very seems pro. like a change in direction from them from the mm-hmm. previous years, and maybe the departure of Johnny Ive allowed for this. Who knows? But they were definitely going thinness at all costs, which I'm down with on the MacBook Air. I mean, it's right there in the name. Like, make that one as thin as possible. But the pros, it got to a point where you couldn't really differentiate the two machines aside from the price and. Some right. of the internals, they were like the same machine with one had better internals, maybe one had better battery life. But now, I mean, this thing is not trying to be an air. It's like you said, it's beefy. Mm-hmm. It's quite a bit bigger than my 13 inch that it's sitting right next to. And going back to the speakers, I mean, even physically, they're probably at least two thirds bigger, just physically, the speakers on this. The trackpad is huge. The keyboard is bigger. The keys Love are the bigger. Keyboard. Keyboard's so awesome. Yeah. The escape key is a real button. You get your rows back. I like that the one addition I love to the to the uh, function key row is the, and maybe it was there before and I just never noticed it, but it was the, it's the moon. What is the moon? Yes. Again? The, I, I call it the, the globe. Yeah, I think it's like the do not disturb. I think it's the focus mode is their new thing. Their focus modes. So that lets you turn on Do Not Disturb right from your keyboard without having Oh, like, you're talking about the half moon, the sliver moon. I was thinking yeah. down on the, the function the, key in the lower left has the globe on it. Yes, Do you know, the F6 That's key. the emoji button. I love the emoji button too, the function emoji button. That's amazing. Yeah, that's new for me because on my old MacBook Pro, it just is a function button. Now you could still configure it to be emoji button, but it wasn't default, so I didn't mm-hmm. never no- noticed it. So I had this you know claw keyboard thing I would do, which was like, Command Shift Caps Lock. I don't know what it was. Yeah, something to pull up the emoji picker, and now it's just right there on the globe. But you're talking about the the Sliver Moon F6. Well, because you get deep- all your rows back, and it's not this, you know, what it might be per app, you know, display type, you know, non functional tactile yeah. row key. It's legitimate. I mean, like it seems so logical, but you know, I think it was just a failed attempt. The whole touch bar was. A good idea to some degree, but it just it just could not be executed. And I just rather have functional row keys. Yeah, it just wasn't good in practice. It wasn't better, especially the escape key. The escape key needed to be a physical key. I would tap and leave the area and just hope I hit it. That's the that's the worst one. But even just having the volume buttons be real keys. Yeah, I mean, I I had Touch Bar for you know daily use for four years, and I got this thing out and pushed volume up and I, I just giggled i'm like it's real it's a button it's so much better like yeah. it's just marginally better or not marginally better than more than marginally noticeably better having those physical keys up there again and the touch id is super fast, fast was very I mean, fast instantaneous which is awesome yeah i guess one more point too for me is coming from also so i had a imac pro and i liked it to be i like to go mobile as well so i had a 13 inch iMac or sorry, 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro, which is just a the bare bones essentially. I got like the lowest thing you can ever get essentially, just enough so I can be mobile, have a mobile machine because we do travel. At least we 
we're traveling less the last couple of years. So we we do travel often though to uh, record. And I need, need a more capable machine on the road, but not like super super beefy. So in that case, you know, I was coming from the touch eye, you know, the touch bar and whatnot, and even touch ID on that was not not very fast, not in comparison mm-hmm. to like, like here, it's like instant. It really is. Instant, yeah. And the cool thing I like about these new machines too is you can get the external keyboard with Touch ID as well. Oh, that's cool. So You can just buy it and put it on a Mac Mini? Well, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you can put it on a Mac Mini. In my case, I have a display. And so the actual keyboard is, like the machine is over there. I'm pointing. No one on the audio can actually see me point, but you can, Jared. I'm pointing over there. The, the actual MacBook Pro is over there. The Pro display is here. The trackpad, like my normal setup, you know, keyboard, trackpad, Wacom. Uh, right. I didn't have to like, I didn't have to give up what I like in terms of a single monitor, big monitor setup going to the MacBook Pro. Uh, so I'm stoked about that. But just the point that the external Mac, or the, sorry, the external keyboard can have touch ID as well because of the new processor. Mm-hmm. So you probably haven't noticed the two other things I wrote down as initial impressions. The screen is beautiful and the notch, I don't really care. I don't notice yeah, it, don't but since you're, you're clamshell mode, right? Well, actually, I keep it open over there all the time, so I just keep it as a secondary monitor. Okay. So that's, uh, that's sometimes I'll play Seinfeld episodes over there, and it's my little monitor over there just sits, sits chilling there, which is mm-hmm. great. So it'll play Seinfeld, and the big monitor is just for you know all work stuff, basically. Or it's yeah. just sitting there doing nothing. So I'll tell you, the, the reason why I haven't put it in clamshell yet is because when I did, something weird happened, and I just haven't done it again. And so I have it from a Thunderbolt cable from the back of the display to the to the MacBook Pro. But I think you're also supposed to um, you're also p- supposed to put the actual plug in, so not just the Thunderbolt plug in to do clamshell. I think that's what they said online. I just haven't tried it yet. So mm. pending, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. But if I close it right now, something weird would happen with the screen. So I think something was just not right. So I think it needs to also be powered with uh, with the actual power brick in addition to the Thunderbolt power. Hmm. Well, I use mine in regular mode. I do connect it to a secondary monitor, so I, but I use both as primary monitors, so to speak. And, and I also, as I said before, detach and, and use it standalone quite a bit. Right. And honestly, the notch is the same situation as it was on the phone. When I first saw the notch on the phone, I was like, yuck, how did that one get past QA? You know, like that's You're right. And then I st- in practice, I just never even notice it. I don't even think about it. And same thing here. Yeah. Up there in the menu bar. I mean, if I want to look at it, I can see it's right there and I can notice it. But when you're doing your thing, it just like fades into the background. No big deal. So critics are in it, Richie on this, but. Whenever he, t- I think it was either him or MKBHD, was one of the two. But the so on the on the on the the screen on the MacBook Pro, the menu bar above, like you still get your normal real estate. So that's why when you take an application to full screen, the the top like the notch essentially goes away because mm-hmm. that bar comes into play. They took what was normally the 16 by 9 aspect ratio. I could be off and paraphrasing and just not correct on some of these things, but the rough idea essentially is they took that display and added the 
file menu bar above it. So you're actually not losing real estate anyways when it comes down to like breaking down how it works out. But how often do you look in the top center of your screen and wish, I just wish something was there, you know, right. that was more informative to my experience of using the, this machine. It yeah, just never. never came to play. So like you, yeah, yuck. What, what's it doing there? But in practice, it didn't really, didn't really bother me one little bit. Yeah, some people had visceral reactions to it. I saw a guy who created a some desktop wallpapers that would be like black, thick in the center, so that it would split your screens in half, and you wouldn't be able to see the, and even up through the menu bar, so you wouldn't be able to see it. Stuff like that, and I don't know, it just doesn't bug me. No, and you know we don't. So theories are, you know. This is now a design thing that Apple has done, and it sort of makes their machines unique. On the iPhone or on mobile phones, essentially, you saw uh, the re the same reaction and a lot of like mm -hmm. pushback on it. But then you saw everyone else essentially copy what Apple had done, and some not, but many had done it. In in some cases, like MKBHD covered this quite well. Like some would actually put the notch there and not even really need it physically need it. like apple put it there because they used all that space for face id and all the fun things they put into the machine and whatnot so there's speculation that this is a design type thing that will come into play currently not shipping with face id but maybe it's massaging the the feels of the future essentially to to be ready for it so face id ready right. more sensors ready essentially like if this notch is there you just get used to it yeah, so the webcam is in the notch, but there's a bunch of blank space on either side of the webcam because right, it's just the webcam which doesn't need all the space. Unlike the phone that has you know five or six sensors in the notch, there's just 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 the one here. Precisely, lidar and all that stuff. Yeah, but I think what they're I I do think that they've turned it into a design thing, but I think it's clearly a concession because any designer who could not have the notch would choose not the notch. I think, but. Mm -hmm. We're just not there yet. I mean, they have to be able to put the, the the sensors and the cameras behind the screen, which that would be ideal, right? Right in the middle where you're looking, you know, no interruption, some sort of way of putting it behind the display mm -hmm. and having it not be obstructed by the display to do its thing, which I know that people are working on that. But So let's say a different world where you can not have the notch, but... Instead of having the notch, let's say all the sensors can see through the screen and the graphics in the screen, but the camera can't. And you just have to have like a black circle just for the camera. No, they're working on the camera as well. Like That's to see saying. through the graphics of the screen itself? Yeah, I don't know if you like it's all in software, like it finds a way of like reversing Canceling that. It? I mean, obviously yeah. they, they haven't delivered it yet, but yeah. I know there's, you know, Samsung and Apple, they're all trying to engineer this because that's. That's the perfect situation, right? Like great sensors, great camera, and it just doesn't take sure, up any space. Of course, space. hide it all. Yeah, I mean, who wants wires? And, you know, these notches are like wires, essentially. Like when you hang a TV on the wall, you know, versus like on its typical stand on a piece of furniture, when you put it up on the wall, do you want to see those wires dangling down to your other gear and to the outlet? And, you know, right. if you need to hardwire it into your network and that kind of, no, you don't want to see the wires, never. So, of course, you don't exactly. really want to see the notch. It's necessary. It's a necessary thing, which right. if it's going to be necessary, then what do you do? You turn it into an advantage, make it 
feel like a design aspect, Precisely. right? Which they, yep. Yeah, which I they've definitely succeeded at. Because, yeah, like you said, people are copying it because that's what they do. It's an Apple thing, yeah. Even if they don't need it, they're copying it. Yeah. So, yeah, first impressions for me, I love it. Heavy machine, but give me all the pro. I, I don't want you to thin it out. I don't want you to shrink the machine. I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a threshold. So don't go overboard. But, you know, when it comes to a pro machine and I buy a pro machine that costs what this thing costs, yeah. $5,000 plus, in some cases, you know, fully spec'd out, I want all pro. I don't want all thin. I don't want MacBook Air. I want all pro. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the upgrade itself, on my phone, I do the easiest, fastest thing, right? Restore from iCloud backup. I don't want to, I just, I just want my exact phone transmuted is that a word i just want to transferred directly onto this new phone as if nothing else changed mm-hmm. on my mac that's not the way that i'm rolling i'm using it as an opportunity to play you know do or die with with it to, to really re question every decision i made because over four or five years of using the same machine especially for development and work and play and all this stuff it gets pretty crufty you know there's lots of junk mm-hmm and this like starts off pristine. And so not so fast. Don't just, I don't restore anything. Uh, I run them simultaneously and, and, you know, copy over the stuff that makes sense when I need it. I think you're kind of taking a similar tact, right? hundred percent. Yeah. I, I don't know about the people who would do the transfer, like what kind of pro user they would be. I would want to talk to them and just, just not so much that they're wrong or right. I just want to know. <laughs> they might be one that's in a hurry. They're like, I just need it to work today. Yeah. From, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for me, like my machine is an extension of, of me because we do it so much. We use it so much to create. Mm-hmm. And so I, I need to know how it works. And there's particulars with setting it up to know how it works, that it's sturdy the way that, you know, if you're using Homebrew, where things are at, which version of Git you're using, for example, you know, your SSH key, for example, where things get stored, all that fun stuff. And for me, as, especially like terminal and different applications, you know, I just want to know how they work and know that it's done the right way versus just restoring. I just don't know about people who do that. Yeah. But I, I will say the very first thing I did on my machine was I spent way too long creating my Memoji. So I spent... At least 10 ah. minutes creating emoji. So even before I actually got into the machine, it, it takes you to that process. I'm like, you know what? I haven't done one of these yet, so I should just create one. So I spent 10 minutes creating emoji. And now it it's a, it's there and it animates itself whenever I log in and out and whatnot. So it's kind of fun. It makes it more playful. I didn't even do that. Mine didn't even prompt me to make an emoji. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not sure what happened with mine. Well, you get to set your avatar, and so when you do that, you can oh. choose which, and then part of that you know, discovery process of what you want to use, whether it's the defaults or not, is the opportunity to create an emoji. So at that time, I created it, and I wasn't even logged in yet. The next thing it asked me, though, was file disk, or sorry, file vault disk encryption, and it defaults to yes. I'm curious if you went yes, or if you explicitly said no. I went yes. You did? You, okay. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I travel with this thing. Okay. You know, security concerns. I think it's low enough level at this point that you're not going to notice it on performance. Sure. That was my, I mean, it wasn't like I put a lot of thought into it. I was like, you know what? This thing's beefy. I do take it some places. 
Better safe than sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You know, they want it as a default, so that's what Apple thinks I should do. You turn it off. My biggest fear is getting locked out of my data somehow. And I that's they may show my you know, my naivete to disk encryption and how that works and what the possibility is. But you know, if something happened to this machine for some reason and I needed to in the past I've had this happen where you can plug in one machine to another and boot in a certain way. And it acts like a just an external disk, essentially. Like if I ever had to do that with this machine, would that mean that file disk encryption would lock me out? I don't know. So my fear and lack of knowledge is what made me say no, even though they had already defaulted me to yes. I was like, yeah, that's a fast <laughs> one there, Apple. No, going to pull back on that one. Yeah. So... I'd love some education on the front, basically. Yeah, I guess I think about my data that everything that's of value is backed up and elsewhere, you know? So, I mean, maybe in practice that becomes not true, especially if I'm, like, in the middle of a project. You know, I, I did that that standard out episode of the changelog, and at one point I was like, I've been working on that for a couple of weeks, and it only exists on my computer. That's that's stupid. Like, if my computer crashed I, or burned, mm-hmm. I would be mad. So in practice, I get to a point where I do have unique, precious bits on that disk. But in theory, all of that should be in Dropbox. So I shouldn't have that. True. Scenario. But same for me. I would say too. I mean, that's that's pretty true because I um in the iMac scenario, I didn't have enough local storage, so I had one terabyte of storage. So I had to get an external Thunderbolt three, which was super fast. Uh, external storage. It was four terabytes. So that's what made me think like four terabytes in these machines would be great because I never used all that. Mm-hmm. And I always had plenty to plenty to consume. But I would um, carbon copy cloner that thing to a separate network drive elsewhere on the network where essentially I have a RAID setup where it, I know RAID's not a backup. If you're listening to this, of course it's not a backup, but it's a secondary copy. So I would always copy my production drive essentially which was that drive to a different machine several times a day i think like three times a day every six hours um and the same thing now same same concept that but i'm actually going to move instead of using carbon copy cloner i think i'm going to do it with uh, a cron job and rsync this time around versus that the cool thing about carbon copy cloner is that it gives you a chance to do what they call a, a safety net so if the file doesn't exist on the old, instead of deleting it, it moves it to a folder that eventually purges itself. Whereas rsync, if you use the, I think it's, um, yeah, if you use the dash dash delete flag on rsync, it will essentially match your source to your destination. And if it exists on your destination, but not at your source, because you're syncing source to destination, if you do dash dash delete, it's going to delete whatever exists on the destination right. that no longer exists on the source. So it's going to literally mirror it. It's a mirror, yeah. And I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But, you know, in the case of, like, accidentally deleting something and that rsync command somehow falls on the hour of the cron job you ran or something like that and you actually didn't want to delete it and you don't have a way back, the safety net's gone. So rsync, I would love it if somehow they buffered in some sort of safety net feature like Carbon Copy Cloner. But Carbon Copy Cloner is a GUI, really easy to use, sturdy. I've used it for years. I love the application. Mm -hmm. But 
the geek in me wants to run a cron job and monitor it with chroniter and uh, do it with an rsync command instead because why not? Mm. So what are the other things you did right away? I have a list of things that despite my mm-hmm. my reticence to installing stuff and doing like a just-in-time installation of things that I absolutely need, there's still probably half a dozen apps or things that I did or set up immediately, like within the first yeah. hour. Okay, let's play first app. What was your first app? Dropbox. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not an exciting one. Not exciting at all. Because I, I needed my files, man. You did need your files. Um, so did you, did you hand type in your password then? You had to have, right? No, because my passwords are in iCloud. Oh, uh, okay. So you got me there. Okay. So I use key. I use iCloud Keychain. I do not use one password. I do not use LastPass. Although we use it for sharing passwords amongst ChangeLog, but I'm an iCloud Keychain. It does everything I need. Doesn't I mean, it comes pre-installed on everything? Sign into iCloud, do your thing, and there's all your passwords right there, in, instantly available at the touch of an ID. Wow! I just touch ID it. Boom. Okay. So I just sign into iCloud and I use that to sign into Dropbox. Right. Download the app. Set it up. Not exciting. But I think I went in the order Dropbox, Audition, Slack, Zoom. Which kind of hurt because I know Zoom does some weird stuff underneath the covers. That's funny. Okay. But I did it. I had a meeting to get to. I think I was meeting with yeah. you on Zoom. Yeah. And I was like, hold on, I'm installing Zoom. Yeah, you you were rushed into a couple things. So I would actually discount Zoom because of that, but it's the truth. It's the it's the actual ordering. So these are like just must-haves because they're just like communication tools, you know? But like yeah. the ones that I installed for me that I like immediately, uh, iStat Menus, which I've been a long-time user. It puts all sorts of cool yeah. uh, data in your menu bar, my CPU, my network. I'm familiar, but I just stopped. I, I let it go a long time ago. I, I used to use that often, um, but I guess it just informed me less. What is it that makes you keep using it? Mostly I like to watch my outbound and inbound network traffic. Okay. And see how how fat, hard and fast I'm pushing it. Like, oh, I'm pulling 15 megs down right now. It's an indicator of, you know, activity gotcha. that I like to be notified of. And then I put CPU in there, which is be, uh, because my old machine was slow and so... You know, I'd want to know when my CPU is getting pegged. I haven't cared about it. I just set it up anyways. Right. Because it's just like a habit. I'm like, yeah, CPU, network, that's it. Just the, the network one's the biggest one for me. Because I just have, I've watched my network traffic for years and I just want to keep doing it basically. Yeah. You got some limitations. On Plus you front. click on it. It gives you your external IP address. It gives you, what I like is it'll actually show which process is pulling the data. You know, so like, oh, really? oh Brave Browser is doing it versus... Dropbox versus, you know, and what megabytes or kilobytes up and down every process is doing. So it breaks it down very acutely and I can really pinpoint, you know, who's the culprit of this traffic. That is interesting. I'd probably be curious, but I wouldn't want it to be in my menu bar all the time. Like if it could be like a a terminal thing, you know, where I can just in time when I want to know it, just run a command. That'd be cool. I'm sure there's something out there that gets that done. But for me, I stack menus has just been part of my menu bar for years and I like it. So I installed it right away. Yeah. We're definitely different people. Plus I wanted to see how this new machine performed. So I was like, I want to see if the CPU is ever working hard, you know? And so far it hasn't. 
yeah, it's probably like, yeah, I'm just chilling here. Yeah. And then homebrew, which I think we'll both talk about, was yeah. pretty fast because that's like your gateway to all the other tools that you need. It's a default install, man. Yep. And then transmit. It's a must install if you're a developer. Yeah, I mean. I installed transmit right away, and that's basically it. I haven't installed transmit yet. Yeah, I haven't done transmit yet. Those are my instant installs. Okay. So for me, first was one password because I don't use iCloud Keychain. Um, and I think I would actually probably be okay with iCloud Keychain, except for I use one password for more than just passwords. I use it for like the gateway, driver's license in there, credit cards are in there, different things are in there that are like beyond just logins and stuff. And so I'm, I, I like one password for that reason. I've been using it for a very, very long time. Like mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember using anything, one password, like the longstanding application for me. So that was my first install because I needed to have my password to then install other things. Sure. So I, I was like, well, the first thing for me is like, let's get one password in place. That way I have access to it. It's good to go. Any password I need for any website or any service, I've got it. It's done. So in that case, then I think the next thing was like iCloud. You know, it's an obvious thing. Which mm-hmm. sync should it be? I did all sync. Um, the very next thing I did was name my machine. I don't know about you, but like I have to like give my machine its due nomenclature. I named mine as well. I wasn't like right, right away, but I definitely have named it already. So, well, I was then thinking about things like, okay, what is this machine on the network? Because I have all my machines named, so I can easily log into them and stuff like that. So, do you have a naming system? Somewhat. I mean, for my machines, I do. So my machines always begin with AS. That's my initials. So AS or AS dash. Uh, in this case, it's a MacBook Pro, so it's MBP. And then because there's always a size, and the size is always uniquely different, like I've never had two 16 inches or two 15s. And, you know, I may have two laptops, but never two of the same size monitor. So I've got mm. a super old 15-inch, uh, the most recent 13-inch, and now a 14-inch. So they're all named AS-MBP-screen size. So in this case, dash 14. Gotcha. So if Heather had a similar machine, my wife, on the network, she would be HS-MPP-14. So that way it wouldn't collide with like Heather's MacBook Pro and Adam's MacBook Pro. I just think those right. are ugly names on the network. So I just get rid of them already, you know, immediately. Yeah. I do the same thing for mine. I, I let Rachel just be whatever it says, Rachel's MacBook Air. Well, I don't tell her what she should do, but I'm, I suggest it very... Uh, you know, I'm the IT guy right here, so I get to suggest. That's right. Sit down at dinner. Hey, here's our naming scheme. Listen up. You're I probably set up our machines for it too, so I probably just did it on her behalf. Not like, hey, you have to. Just more like a, just a, a loving gesture, more or less. So a while ago, I realized that my the first part of my name rhymes with air. And so I immediately had JairPods. You know, my AirPods became JairPods. My MacBook Air became MacBook Jair. And then my phone, instead of iPhone, it was JairPhone. And then I had Jairbook Pro. <laughs> so this this is my naming scheme is put Jair in there somewhere. Okay. So what's this machine's name then? This is Jairbook Max. Oh, well, this I like is the that. Pro Max. Yeah. You know, you got to have your own style in there. You know, for real. Like I think that's, that's right. great too. You got to have something. Though. You just can't be like Jared's MacBook Pro dot local. You know? Yeah, like, that's just ugly. So lame. Yeah. I agree. It is. It is lame. 
And then, you know, because I use Pi-hole in the network too, every machine that has or should have um, a dedicated IP. So DHCP tends to only issue the same IP, but it can change theoretically through DHCP. So I tend to issue static IPs to particular machines I know I'm logging into. So the Raspberry Pis, they have their own. The Linux box I have on the network is, it has its own, you know. And like this machine, if I'm outside the network and I'm SSHing in, and I want to get at something on this machine for some reason. I want it to have a dedicated IP, but that actually matters less when you do when you do DNS. So through Pi-hole, you have the option to do C names and DNS and stuff like that. And so I have a simple system, similarly to this, like you know ASMBP fourteen essentially dot home dot LAN in this case. So like I have a, a mini on the network couple of Raspberry Pis, a Linux box. And so those all get named appropriately. But that first part is like whatever the machine's name is, dot home, dot LAN. Mm. So it's pretty easy to get around the network, especially when adding keys and logging in. Obviously, I tend to use the same username to get in as my personal user because hey, that's my name. So I don't even have to like put the, you know, username at before the thing because it's it assumes the username you're currently logging in as VSSH. So it gets a little easy, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason to name your machines appropriately is to navigate the machines well on your network. So second app for me was Superhuman. So that's interesting. I did have my email app. I didn't mention it. I use Spark, but I you've been telling me Superhuman is like the bomb diggity. What what's the deal? It's fast. I mean, you can move around it keyboard wise uh, really easily. Um, you know, for a while there, I resisted it because I thought it was just like this pretty thing on top of gmail but it's not it's not like gmail but just made pretty as an application it's actually its own application i think i haven't confirmed this actually but i think it's electron app i don't think it's like an actual native app i think it's electron app but it's just fast it's easy i like it it's my current email client my last one i was using called tempo decided to fail as a company mm-hmm. i think they failed because they, they ended their life you know i mean that's what happened so that's what happens with every good mail client is it gets acquired or fails. So I wonder what's superhuman. I think they were like VC funded, go big or go home. They just got some major funding recently this year, like $100 million or something like that. So they're going to get acquired and end up, you know, you'll have a Microsoft app. Maybe. Until then, <laughs> you know. Until then. Until then, I'm superhuman. Well, if Microsoft can handle it like GitHub, maybe that's be a good thing. It's pretty fast, though. So what I like about it is a couple of things. Uh, navigating keyboard-wise, super fast. Archiving. Super fast, responding super fast, um, blocking people or domains really fast. So when you say fast, people, do you mean that the it's quick for you to do that, or that the the app moves quickly when you command it? I would say both. I would say what I mean really is for me to do it, but it's actually both. It's really fast. It's speedy because Gmail has all the shortcuts built right in. Yeah. So I mean, you can you can do all the things super fast in terms of that. But Gmail's UI can can slow down, and you're waiting for it to do things. Yeah, web app. Superhuman's fast uh, as an application itself. It's very speedy. So I I've enjoyed it so far. I've only been using it for about three, maybe four weeks. Ever since Tempo said there were any lifing, which was pretty recent, I liked the application. Tempo was really nice. It was a really beautiful application. You know, you wrote in Markdown. And you can preview it before you sent it. So I just love the process of writing a markdown, previewing it. Mm-hmm. Just the poeticness, I suppose, of conjuring new emails. And I email a lot. 
you know, I'm sure you do as well, but I mean, I'm attached to email. It's not a dying thing for me. You know, I'm not on social media only. I, I'm definitely an email kind of person. So my client has to be fast. It's got to be easy to navigate. I don't want to leave my keyboard if I don't have to, although I'm willing to, I just prefer not to. If I can have a quick key for it and easily navigate, then, then great. But the next thing for me was like, which, you know, I really wanted to resist the, the need to install anything Rosetta. Like if it required Rosetta, like at first. I did too, but as soon as I had to do Creative Cloud, there was Rosetta. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, so then to install Creative Cloud, I tried just to have to install only Audition. So did I, I did the same thing. I'm like, oh, I'll direct install. It's a Trojan horse. Well, because Audition says it's M1 compatible, right? Audition right. itself. But clearly it's not because you have to use the Creative Cloud installer, which is not M1 compatible. It's a Rosetta application to install it. No, I think Audition is, but Creative Cloud is not. That's what I'm saying, yeah. But the reason why they're doing that is because they're trying to shove you in the front door. Like, they could directly install Audition, but they won't. So when you say, I want to install Audition, because I did the exact same process as you, and I'm on to them. Yeah. They're like, here you go, here's Audition. It's the, it's the Creative Crowd, Cloud installer. They just make That's you the same thing. Like, yeah, yep. which requires Rosetta. So there's no way, which makes sense. They want to funnel everybody in through that thing because it's like their centralized deal. Yeah, but they should let you just install Audition directly. I mean, it's been helpful to keep things updated. Honestly, if you have multiple Creative Cloud applications installed, it it is a helpful thing. But I, yeah, I don't mind it. At the end of the day, like I use it to install Photoshop and I use it to install Premiere Rush and and Audition. It's an okay piece of software, but it's Rosetta, and I was like, no, I need Rosetta. Precisely. Yeah. So I don't let Creative Cloud run all the time, though. So I don't, I don't know about you, but I make sure like I quit it and I make sure it doesn't auto-log in or auto-start when you log in. Yeah, so I, I, I get rid of that thing. So I only mm-hmm. launch it when I need to. So I'm ten, I tend to be behind on the updates as well, which is fine. I, I don't think there's ever an audition feature. I'm like, I must have that feature. It's more just like get better, you know, mm-hmm. speed your interface. Now, I have noticed in audition the timeline and – Different things inside Audition is way graphically snappier, whereas before it was very like jittery and kludgy. Yes. This is like a way different thing. Like it's super fast. Yeah. Especially for me, specifically on like ripple ripple deletes. If I ripple delete a large project like a front end feud episode that has nine tracks on it on my old MacBook and it's like right in the middle and has to ripple a bunch of things down. I used to have to wait for that for, you know, maybe 10, 15 seconds. And this is like always immediate. Yeah. Ripple delete essentially is whenever you have a large span of time del- selected and you want to delete that time, but also move what's before it in the timeline back with it when you delete. That's what ripple delete is. So if you're listening and you're thinking, what's, what's ripple delete? It, it does a lot. It moves things around automatically for you. Mm-hmm. It shifts everything down by the delete. Yeah, because otherwise you would delete it yourself and then have to go and select all those things and manually pull them over. Instead, it does it as one part, one single action. But if you have a nine track session, it's going to be a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on there. So yeah, I think Audition is super snappy. But yeah, my second install was Superhuman. I resisted Rosetta until I couldn't resist Rosetta with <laughs> Adobe Creative Cloud. And then, uh, but you know, the one thing cool thing is that uh, Rosetta apps seem to install and act just like M1 apps. Like I don't notice a difference. Same. They may say they're Rosetta, they may do whatever, but they feel just as snappy as anything else. So yeah, it was just a principle more than in, you know in practice. I I have no 
I haven't noticed any difference. I guess maybe yeah. that Creative Cloud is the only one that is Rosetta. I'm not sure so far, yeah. but. And then uh, Dropbox. So I'm I'm kind of right there with you with the next things installed was Dropbox. But, you know, Dropbox drives me crazy. So there was that recent tweet out there with essentially there was a support ticket and someone was asked about M1 support and they're like, yeah, maybe or something like that. I'm like, what maybe? Like, Right. They're like, we'll think about it. How do you say maybe to like the next generation Apple processor support? Like, that's just not a thing. You don't do that. Yeah. I think that that tweet got enough support that their CEO Drew stepped replied. In, yeah. 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 He stepped in and he was like, well, that's not actually what's happening, but like, it still doesn't have M1 full support, so it's still a Rosetta application. But my main issue with Dropbox is the massive amount of, like, I can go on deeply about it, but I'll, I'll say it more concisely, just that Selective Sync bothers me because I want to, even though we have all the storage, I want to be aware of how I'm using that storage, no matter what. And so I only want to actually, I want to keep things in Dropbox for the backup purposes and the cloudiness of what Dropbox is, but not have to have every single Dropbox folder I have in Dropbox on every single machine. Yeah. And so what drives me crazy is like, sure, selective sync. But if you went and created a brand new directory, it syncs that thing. You know what I mean? Like it just drives me crazy. So smart sync is the default now. So the selective sync and smart sync are different. Right. They are selective sync is which folders you want to have on your machine and smart sync is of all those folders inside them, I'm only actually going to have these files exist on the cloud and then I can make them local at any time and I can make them cloud at any time. And on the new Dropbox that I installed on this machine, they do default to SmartSync, which means you can have the entire file structure on your machine, but none of those files are local until you go make them local. Yes. Now, I, agree with I, I that. think if you do create new local files, it will put them in Dropbox and it's not going to like immediately cloudify those until you right click right. and say and I'm fine know, with that I mean I, I expect that if I'm creating the, the file myself it's going to be on the hard right. disk right so I think it's gotten better I mean it used to be the case before SmartSync yeah it was a huge pain because you have to manage all the files but with SmartSync you can set it up so that like you have these little sections and you can still see everything and access everything and add stuff right but you don't need to have them local until you're ready which is why I still, I, I tried to not put Dropbox in this machine. I know we had a, some chat in our, was it in our Apple Nerds channel about Dropbox? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, about that situation. And Nick Nisi pointed out there's a client called, I think, Maestral, Maestral, which is an open source Python thing that like uses the Dropbox API. I thought about that because it's like minimal. It's all about minimal memory usage. Just do what you need to do. Like the old Dropbox but it's missing smart sync and I think it has selective sync, but maybe not. And I just, at the end of the day, I was like, I'd you know what? I'd be selective sync if it was actually selective sync though. So it, to me, it's like, I want to go in the app and say, okay, I only want these folders, directories, folders, whatever on this machine. If somewhere out in my Dropbox ether, another folder gets created. Sure. It's online only or, or, you know, smart synced where it's online only. Right. But it's still going to show up in my drive, in my lists of when I go into Dropbox. Selective is just that, selective. So if I say, it, let's say today in Dropbox in my root, I only have four directories. And I want two of those only on this machine. Great. That works perfectly. I love it. Yeah. Moved on. On a whole different machine, on mobile, on a different machine, wherever, 
a new directory gets created inside my Dropbox. Selective Sync only chose two, but that new one that was not there to choose or not choose from there comes down and gets created and added. Not if it's now, it is online level. only. Yeah, it's top level, exactly. So there's no. So there were there were four, and you selective sync two of them. Right now there's I, five. I chose two of them. Now there's five, and that fifth one, that new fifth one, comes down. Are you sure about that? Hundred percent. I tested it today just to okay. make sure before this call. I'm like, let me double check before I grab about it. Yeah, how that's true. Dumb. This is. Yeah, that's it, not it, the way it should work. Selective sync to me is selective. It's explicit. <laughs> I want to choose these two. I, I'm, so shocked I'm shocked that that's how it works. I am shocked that that's how it works. Yeah, go go test it out for yourself. So that if they would fix that, I think I would be fifty percent happy with Dropbox. <laughs> that's a lot of percent. I mean, like, that is holy cow. That's a lot of percent. Like if you had three and a half stars now, you'd be at five stars. That's precisely. I mean, let's let's get that figured out. But let's get into some specifics though. Like sure, Dropbox, all that fun stuff. What about developer things for you? Like what if what did, what's your first step into like developer setup of your new Mac? What's the first thing you do? Sure. So disclaimer is that I do not have it set up fully for like changelog development. I don't sure. think you do either. We've got one week on these things. So some of these things are left to be seen. But step one for me is homebrew immediately in terms of command line tooling. Okay. Because that's your gateway to all the other command line tools. Now I am trial running everything. I will tell you, I have not changed the default terminal from Z shell yet to bash. Because I'm willing to just give Z Shell a try for yeah. a while and see if uh, I, I bump up against anything. So historically, I would use Homebrew to install Git. I definitely do those two steps. And then my next step would be to clone my dot .files. I haven't even cloned my dot .files because they're all bash-based, and I'm using Z Shell. Okay. So I'm actually going hardcore selection and like, only pulling in the aliases and the functions as I use them. Mm-hmm. And you know what? All I've really used is like the LL, you know, aliases. And I have you, I do have some command line scripts that I've written over the years that are in my bin folder. So I've added that to my path and I've like copied them over from my old laptop one at a time as I use them. And so I'd like the Ruby scripts or Perl scripts or shell scripts. Are you, uh, you know, using SCP to copy those over? How are you copying them? Rsync? Dropbox. What's your, what's your Dropbox? Yeah. You get Drop your it. bin folder in Dropbox? Sure. Okay. I, I mean, not to execute. Not the one that I'm using. The one on my old laptop. Right? So I just, I, just, I just copy them into the Dropbox, and I can just pick and choose off of there. Is that right? I have like a temp folder in Dropbox, which is like exactly that. It's just like I'm putting crap in here because I'm going to move it around. So I wouldn't use Dropbox. I guess it, it works. But I would just... I don't well, want to have to rsync in like from machine to machine or SCP. Well, from SCP this would to be easier. Machine. I would choose that. I was curious which tool you. I was. I was. I was actually thinking we would have gone terminal on that, not Dropbox. So I'm surprised. Why by Dropbox it. is already set up? You yeah, know, I could use something like AirDrop even, but it's more just a surprise. Like I would probably. It is terminal. Just, like I use my command line to copy the files through Dropbox. I'm not using right. a GUI or right. Finder. So you're just doing your CP then at that point. Copy from Dropbox. I mean, I'm effectively just like yeah, just copying them. To that folder, and then I copy them hey, off, man, or I move them. That works off. too. Yeah, low fidelity. That works too. That is low fidelity. Mm-hmm. I would have not done it that way. Not that it's wrong or right. I'm just it's comparative. Like how what's your behavior? Sure. Yeah, I would have SCP'd, and I would have at user a different machine. I would have gone to the path, and I'd have copied it to where I wanted to, right to the bin folder, and skip Dropbox. Yeah, so I don't set up 
SSH access from the outside of my laptop unless mm. I would need to. So I'd rather I already have a hole with Dropbox, so I just poke through it that way, I guess. You think it's a, I guess it's kind of a hole unless you're using it. I mean, that's exactly what it's an open SSH tunnel. Right? Sure. It's a port that's listening for connections. Okay. Yeah. Not that I mean it's always on a LAN anyway, so you're it's not right. like it's dangerous. We're on pretty secure lands too. I mean, I guess yeah, totally. Unify has had their issues. Let's just say. <laughs> Let's but again, I do go to public Wi-Fi's. I do connect to them. That's true. Like I, I, I move around. Okay. So if I can yeah. keep as many things not open and listening on my machine, then mm-hmm. why not? And I already have Dropbox set up, so I just. It'd be cool then in that case if they would allow SSH access when on a particular Wi-Fi. Or a particular oh, yeah. network. If you can name the network, I would, because I have no problem with SSH being open locally when I'm here. Sure. But I do agree. Like, I would want that. You'd have to go into, you know, your sharing section of directory your directory or whatever yeah. that is inside of preferences. Yeah. And, and un- uncheck that. But I have right. no problem with SSH being open locally because for the reason, like, I would be out of my, outside of my network and I have done this before. So that's, it's not just like a geek want, it's more like a real want. I've done it before. I've needed to like log in for something. As a matter of fact, one time traveling, I had to like get a project because I forgot to like clone it to my, you know, laptop that I took with me. It was only back on my machine. I had to SSH in through, and thankfully, I can go from the main machine, I, the main machine I SSH into, and then from that machine, I can go to anywhere essentially the network. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I logged in there and pulled it all the way across. And it saved me. Like, if not, it had been like, hey, Jerry, we can't ship that thing this weekend. Like, even on my trip, because I, I forgot the files. Right. But anyways, yeah, that's how I would have done it. It's not right or wrong. It's just, just yeah. interesting to think about how people choose their particular practices. Like, you would have used Dropbox and still use Terminal to copy around, but I would have just SCP'd into the other machine and pulled it over. Yeah, so if you look at the sharing section of this computer, like, the only thing I have turned on is AirPlay Receiver. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't have screen sharing, file sharing. Yeah, I do screen share a lot. So I have that on for me. File sharing is on, remote login, remote management, and AirPlay receiver, which I actually used today AirPlay. for the first time. And I was like, yes, that's so awesome. Yeah, dude, AirPlay is awesome. Well, it, it never made sense why your Mac couldn't be an AirPlay receiver in the first place, like way back. Like why can't, if we have these nice, as we mentioned before, we have studio monitors on our desk because we do audio stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're great for that. Like that's how we master our shows and they sound so good because we can listen to the high fidelity version of it and uh, make it sound good. But like if I want to listen to something on my phone, like today I'm actually listening to slash reading a new book called We Are Legion. And in parentheses, We Are Bob. I'm excited about the book. I'm like two chapters in. It's so good. And so I was sitting there eating lunch and because the family was away. So I was eating lunch in my office today. And I was like, I want to listen to this book. And rather than just pull up my phone and listen to this, the phone speaker, I'm like, let me see if I can airplay, which I didn't even do this yet. I'm just like, I didn't check that box on purpose. It was just done by default. Let me see if I can airplay to this new machine. Boom, shows up. I push play, and I'm listening to my book on my studio monitors eating lunch. And I was just like, this is awesome. That's cool. That's so cool. That is cool. That's so cool. Yeah. So... Other things that I'm doing, you know, post-instant install. So I'm doing some trial runs. You know, there's some functionality that I had on my old Mac that I'm either trying to live without or replace with simpler, smaller, freer, open-sourcey tools. As I said, I'm using Z-Shell. I did not install on my Z-Shell yet. I thought about it, but I was like, nah, I'm just going to use it bare bones for a while. 
and see how that goes. Um, I'm not installing Fantastical, so I've been a long-time Fantastical user. Oh, yes. I still have it on my phone. And I thought, you know, the built-in calendar has gotten quite a bit better. I'm going to see how long I can live with just the built-in calendar app from Apple. Mm-hmm. And so far, so good. I do miss a little bit having... I like the menu bar drop-down for Fantastical where it shows that nice deal right there and you can see what's upcoming and you can create events inside of the menu bar uh, app. But I haven't really missed it all that much. I just have the calendar open and click over to it and it's fine. Yeah. Dash is an app I've used for a very long time to do two things. It was doing offline code documentation and it also was my snippets manager. Now Dash has gone through some changes and he released like version 6 and it was a paid upgrade. I went I tried to stay off it for a while and finally like my version started not working all right so I went ahead and upgrade, paid for it, no big deal. Uh, love supporting the developer. But the new version of Dash, I'm just not in love with it. Yeah. Like everything is unified through this single interface, I don't know. So I thought if I can rid myself of Dash at least for the snippets, that would be kind of cool. Mm. And so I found a really cool open source project. In fact, somebody submitted this to us to do an episode of the changelog on it, which might end up happening at this point, called Espanso. I told you about this, didn't I? Yeah. So was that? They missed out, you said on the name. Yeah. So that's the only bummer is like Expando. Such a cool name. You're so close to it. Two letters off. Espanso, hard to say. I think it's. So is it E X P A N S O? No, it's all S's. E S P A N S O. Yes. I think the author might be uh, from Brazil oh, or it might be like okay. a Hispanic thing or Lat- uh, Latino. I have no idea. But yeah, I always. Th- this is a project that I've wanted to exist. And you, you know, I've actually threatened to, to build something like this called expando but mine was more about collaborating around snippets and having shared snippets amongst team members because we do that quite a bit this you can kind of make do that because it's all text-based and you can dropbox link and stuff but it's a really cool text expander cross-platform open source well designed in my opinion so far it's all command line based but has a little menu bar thing as well if you want it and i've started to re-implement my text expansions as i need them in Espanso, and I'm loving that one so far. So that's mm. looking like it will replace Dash in terms of snippets. Now, I know you're on Alfred anyway, so you don't really need this. I'm sure you got Alfred on there. Uh, you know, I actually tried to, because you were like, you made me double think how much I actually enjoy it. And <laughs> in the pre-call I mentioned, you know, I waited, essentially. And when <laughs> yeah. I tried to reach for it, like the third time I reached for it and it wasn't there, I was like, okay, I've got to install this thing. Cause it's like, I just expect it to be there. It's muscle memory for me. And, uh, and I actually like it a lot. So th- what I love most about Alfred really is that it interface wise, I do similar to like Quicksilver. So I'm like an old school Quicksilver user from way, way back. Same. And so I've essentially gone through all the different generations of Quicksilver to something else. And I think there was one thing before, maybe Launch Bar, I think it was what before. Launch Bar, yeah. Uh, before Alfred. So I went Quicksilver, I think Launch Bar chronologically, and then now to Alfred. So it's always been Command Shift, or, or sorry, Command Space Bar to open up whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But the UI to type, you know, to for the display that shows you what's available is just very Mac-like. And so it's aesthetically always been pleasing, 
Yeah. And never felt like a bake, you know, a bolt on or something like that. And so the main things I use in Alfred are the snippets that you'd mentioned, clipboard history, and then obviously launching applications. So those are the main things I use for it. I could calculate things in there. I don't use it. I use solver for calculator stuff. I'm usually mm-hmm. doing more than one calculation. And even so, solver is really great for that. So snippets, clipboard history, and launching applications. And it's got a great interface. Now, the one uh, caveat to this is the appearance of it. I'm actually a big fan of uh, Zenarocha's Dracula theme, and in particular, Dracula Pro. Right. I on the show a while back talking about how he took that you know, from open source to a paid thing. And I think that's been very successful for him. And I'm excited because I love it. I use it. So I use a customized version of Dracula Pro Van Helsing as my uh, Alfred theme. Same thing with Terminal. There's a Dracula Pro theme that he has available. Right when you when you get the folder he gives you of all the things you can do with it, one of the things is an importable theme that you can use for Terminal. And then I also use the theme that I can use for oh my ZSH. In there, it's a modified version as well. Just a couple of slight modifications. So, Terminal, Alfred, but Dracula out. Dracula pro out in particular. Mm-hmm. That's my, uh, you know, setup on that front. And I love the clipboard history. It's like, it's so easy. I, I just could not live without clipboard history. Honestly, like, I copy and paste so much as writing and moving and, like, remixing yeah. things. And I'm sure you do too. Mm-hmm. I just have to have clipboard history i just i'm not like a copy and paste one time and move along it's more like i'm in a flow i'm in a i'm in a workflow of sorts and i need to have history of what i've done and repaste it yeah that's the one thing i haven't set up on this machine yet so in terms of i guess fulfilling those same functionalities that alfred does for you i was also a quicksilver user and Mm -hmm. i didn't use it for any of the fanciness i saw a bunch of people you could build your own custom and alfred's the same way like you can really do power Beautiful. user things yeah. with these with these launchers. I never really got into that very much. I would use it for launching apps. And when Apple added Spotlight and made it a launcher and they put it right in the middle and made it look pretty, I was like, all right, this does most of what I need. Um, so I've just used Spotlight as an app launcher for years. Here's the one difference, and this is what makes me go off it, because I, I don't disagree with that. It's a great sentiment. That's true. But if you're if you're launching Safari... And you do, you can do it right now. Test it out live. You okay. do your spacebar thing, right? You just type in S because that's what Safari begins with is an S. Is the first thing Safari? Yes. What's after it? System preferences. Okay. I don't know if this is, maybe it was the case for me. I don't know. But the memory of whatever character, so if it's F, it's Firefox. If it's S, it's Safari. If it's B, it's Brave. If it's C, Maybe it's calendar, maybe it's Chrome. I don't know. It kind of depends. <laughs> but it, will, it will remember sure. the character you choose based upon like some sort of weighted algorithm. So uh-huh. then I push in S and arrow key down to Safari and launch it. It will remember that and give it weight. And so Safari will always be on top despite sure. system preferences and other S applications to be launched. So I was hoping Safari wasn't first. <laughs> I think what made me go the opposite way was like something where I expected me to push in one character, not two or three, to get to the application I want to launch. And it, I would have to consistently go back and push in all two or all three characters to get it to, like, the limit down to that one Yeah, that I'm actually trying to launch. 
that I think that sense. might be the difference between the two. If it if it does that, that's the wait for me. Is like it's probably a matter of time me. as well. Like Spotlight hasn't always been this good, yeah. you know. And when it first launched, I don't think it would have done that. And maybe over and maybe time, if I selected, you know, maybe the, maybe your algorithm breaks and then you're just kind of broken. Monitor that. Get back to me. I'm curious if that's actually how it is because I didn't give it a chance. I just moved along and went to all good. All good. I mean, honestly, for me, I'm not a a character count minimalist because I, I type really fast. So even if I'm launching Safari, I'm probably going to hit SAF before I even hit enter just because I'm just really like, that's how fast my fingers move. Yeah. My fingers move that fast too. It's just it's the waste <laughs> it's just, of time. I, I and don't energy, know how much time it takes, honestly, but yeah, I I get it. I understand. Command but. space bar S Safari, you know, launch. I mean, for me, if I'm just launching Safari just like that, boom, three four keys gone. I'm done. Command space bar S return. I don't even have to think about it. If I push return, it's how fast Alfred is. It's already mm-hmm. selected and it's launching. It's an M1 Max. It's going to launch super fast. I concur. I concur as well. I mean, I like more so than that. I think long, I think Alfred is cool because it's fulfilling multiple needs for you. So yeah, I have now a snippets answer, but I had to go I'd find like to them try separately. This out, yeah, this, it's really nice. Spanso is nice. pretty cool. I, I think it's open Espanso. source and shareable. Espanso. <laughs> Maybe we could submit a pull request to his project. To change the just, name. Just rename it. Be like Expando. here. This one's on us. Much better name. Would it be Espando or would it be Expando? Well, if it was my project, it would be Expando. Right. You know, like expansion. Given its roots, though, it would be maybe S. Yeah, maybe uh, combine the two. Just suggest So I do like the idea of sharing the snippets. I would love a world where you and I can share like unfurls of big things we collectively, you know, pull into this thing we call one voice, you know, whatever that is. That would be cool. Well, with this tool, we could use, we could, first of all, he has a built-in hub. So, you know, Docker hub and GitHub and NPM and all these things. A he does have hub. a hub where you can share, I think they call it, he calls them apps or groups or I don't know what he calls them, but you can like create a, a package of snippets and share that right. with the world, which is cool. But I'm assuming you could use that to share between multiple people, but also you just, it's text-based. It's actually YAML-based, which is not what I necessarily would have chosen, but fair enough. And you can share that with just a Dropbox sync. And so you can have like sub YAMLs and stuff and we could have like mm-hmm. change log ones and share those just with Dropbox. And it'll just cool. automatically, when I create, I think Alfred you actually has a similar setup now that I think about it. Let me double check. Yeah, probably. I mean, Alfred's been around so long. I bet it has pretty much every feature there is. Well, I have my preferences in Dropbox. So I sync my Alfred preferences from machine to machine via Dropbox on its own. And then I have Alfred snippets inside of Dropbox that I, I guess, share with myself elsewhere. So I'm sure I can share them with you if I if we wanted to, because then you could just add that as a source, that Dropbox directory as a source of where your snippets come from and get it that way too. I'm not suggesting that you move away from a sp- right. a Spanso. It's gonna, it's well, I don't have a, a clipboard tool. So I, I've used Copy Clip before. I'll probably yeah. end up putting it on this. It's just a simple, does one thing well kind of a tool. But that would be the third thing you're using Alfred mm. for. So I have I have app launching a spotlight. Text expansion is this Espanso open source tool. I don't have clipboard management and I need it, just like you said. I Yeah, it's a must have. But Copy Clip is this little free app that's just like sits in your menu bar and does exactly that and has keyboard shortcuts and I'll probably just install that one again. I might look open source first and see what I can find out there, but so not that it's a reason to do it, but I think the one thing that might time you over is if you're aesthetically like I am. The launcher has a style and the clipboard history 
flow of Alfred has the same theme. Mm-hmm. So it keeps that same look. It's got the same. So you've done it once. And you've themed this extra piece of UI that you use that is not Mac native, you know, Apple Mac native, for example. And it still has a good look. So that to me would be like, I, I like that aspect of things. Like when, a, when one tool does multiple things, does them well and looks good along the way. That's going to win me over. So it's themed in Dracula Pro in my case. So Dracula Pro and Helsing. So got the same look, man. I'd, I'd try cool. it out if I were you, if you, uh, if you so feel the need. When you, uh, going back to Homebrew, when you set it up, did you notice there was one uh, warning in the process? Did you follow that warning? I don't remember. What was the warning? It's pretty explicit. So... Whenever, like a lot of curse words in it. Yeah, very. Yeah, it's really mad. Really <laughs> mad. Quaid's getting angry. No, it just says, uh, so on Apple, Apple Silicon Machines, homebrew files are installed to the opt directory. So the OPT directory, is that opt? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the history of this or not. But so it's the opt directory in instead of the user local directory, which was how it was on Intel Macs. And so because of that, it's not by default in your path. So the warning it prompts you with at install, it installs correctly, no problem. But then it says warning, opt homebrew dash or slash bin is not in your path. Mm-hmm. And it gives you instructions on how to do that, which basically is, you know, echo a string into the, and append it to your ZSH RC file. Yeah. And so it's the eval and in quotes, the opt directory and all that good stuff. You append that. So did you do that part? Okay. So you did read the warning then? Well, I didn't know it was a warning. I just thought it was like a, by the way. It says warning. It says warning. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't, I guess user local bins default in your path on macOS. Is that the situation? I don't know what the default path is. I think so. Yeah. User local is in your path by default, I believe. Okay. So I guess I've for a long time put third party things in the slash opt. I think Mac ports might have been in the slash opt before Homebrew came out. Okay. And so this wasn't a, a huge surprise to me. I didn't really dig into. I didn't realize it was different even between Intel and yeah. ARM-based Macs. But I just did. I did notice that they put it in slash opt, and then they're like, "Here's a here's a thing to put in your Z. Is it your Z profile or your Z? You S-H-R-C. could do Z profiles by default. So yours might be Z profile. But if yeah. you, I think Oma ZSH moves you to the ZSH RC. File. Right. They're both going to get loaded, and there's like a right. load order. They're the so same. I think it goes profile, then this, and certain ones is like, mm-hmm. are you at a terminal or not, and are you interactive or not? There's a bunch of weird rules. I don't know the rules, but I do know that both of those files get get loaded when ZSH boots, and it's the same system for Bash, just different files. So yeah, I just copy pasted that and put it in there. Okay. So you you followed its instructions. I did not. So I just trust Homebrew so much that I just installed it, and after went away and did more stuff. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there's something special about homebrew on this new M1 Mac. Sure enough, there was. So I didn't pay attention. I just moved along. I did not add that um, that reference to oh, the eval. But it, but it worked anyways? Like you could call I, I didn't brew? go and do more stuff. I just oh, installed homebrew and just gotcha. brew doctored and brew updated to make sure I was good to go and walked away. I didn't have anything to do then because I wasn't set up a dev environment. I wasn't going to do... Get yet and other things. You didn't install anything. Well, if you brew doctored, that is calling the brew binary. So it had to be in your path already. It said it was good to go. So 
Maybe it was magic. I don't know. But then I came back and added this to my ZSHRC file. It's possible that your ZSHRC already has slash opt slash bin in its potentially because it is a common other area where people put executables. But because yeah, you couldn't brew doctor if you didn't have it set up in your path. Mm. So maybe that was just uh, some oh my ZSH hooking you up. Point that out though for those who are listening, like I'm going to do this. Uh, If there's somebody out there who's like I'm going to set up my machine in two weeks or in a week when I get it. Yeah. Just pay attention to the, that, uh, very lightweight warning to do something different. <laughs> very explicit or lightweight, depending on how closely you're paying attention. Well, I, I thought it was pretty explicit. It, it, obviously it was not during install cause I just glossed right over it and moved along. And then I went to generating my SSH key. So have you always used the ED25519 public key signature system or have you used RSA in the past? Like what are you moving to now when you've done your new key? Have you generated it yet? Uh, I asked Gerhard. Okay. I just said, Gerhard, what should I do here? So what did he say? I didn't do it yet on this machine. Okay. So I had, he's always been a stickler on regenerating keys and stuff. I know I was on DSA and then I was on RSA 256, I think. Okay. But I haven't set up this machine. I don't have any SSH keys on it at all yet. So, I'd be interested in knowing what I should do. Well, GitHub says to use the ED25519 publication your system, so that's what I used. I figured if GitHub is going to suggest something in their process of setting up an SSH key to use GitHub, it's probably going to be yeah, I would trust that a secure suggestion. I don't yeah. doubt that Gerhard has more opinions beyond that. I don't personally. I'm moving from RSA personally. Oh yeah, well that's uh, it's time to move. I know that much. Okay. And and so I have, and uh, maybe that's DSA. Yeah, I wasn't using DSA. One of those two is like brute, is brute force at this point. Oh, is that right? Might be DSA. I don't know which one's which, so I should redact that. I think it's actually DSA is like if you're using that, you're basically insecure. RSA, I think, is probably still secure, but not best it's practice getting, anymore. It's becoming that's my, less secure. Yeah, that's my uh, upon. top of the head thoughts on that. But yeah, I do ask Gerhard, and I think. He would probably say if GitHub recommends it, it's yeah. good enough. So that's what I've done then. I've followed their suggestion to use the ED25519 public signature key system, as they call it. And that's what I'm doing. Nice. It's all working for you? Yeah. I mean, I, it, it has not. <laughs> has it I've not? Has it I mean, well, do you really pay attention to what signature system you're using? I don't know. I mean, is, does it work? You know, can I use right. it? I don't really think about like, I don't think there's a speed thing involved, right? I mean, no, not at this phase. What will the signature system really impact? It's just a matter of like, is it secure or not? It doesn't have yeah, to be anything different so. or unique, you know? So the one thing that uh, I do as well is inside my SSH directory, my config file, I do the host splat so I can add some specifics to like any host. Mm-hmm. So I say, you know, use keygen or sorry, use keychain. Yes. So that adds my passphrase, which is the next question I have for you. Like, do you use a passphrase every time? Because some will say no. So you don't have to keep putting that passphrase in. That's not very secure. I do not. You do not use a passphrase. But Gerhard does. Okay. So if you want to go best practices or do you want to go. So in this case, you would just skip this part. So, yeah. Jared, how Jared does it. I don't. Well, passphrase doesn't require you to have the passphrase stored in your key chain 
because otherwise it's going to keep asking you for it, which is like asking you for a password. Right. Right. Even if you have the key on the external machine or inside GitHub, it's going to keep asking you for that passphrase. You still need to do it to access it locally here. Yeah, exactly. Unless, unless you use this, what I'm telling you in the config, you say, use keychain, yes, add keys to agent, yes, and then you point to your identity file, obviously, for all for all hosts you would SSH into. And in that case, your passphrase can be 28 characters long or whatever you want it to be, super, super long, but it's stored in the keychain. Gotcha. So and it can be secure. And when your machine boots, it gets loaded into memory. Exactly. So you don't have to do that manually each time. So it's accessible to the SSH agent. Precisely. So as soon as you go to SSH in anything, yeah. whether it's Git push or an actual SSH session, it's going to pull that from your keychain for and you. And that's saving you from a circumstance in which somebody steals your SSH public and private keys. Yeah. Because to they use the them to SSH in the other machines, it would have to be, you'd have to have the passphrase. Is that correct? Precisely. Yeah. Gotcha. Can you touch ID it? Um, yeah, I guess. Cause I haven't had to. So if I, I touch ID into the machine, I'm not having to type in the password right to my machine. I just touch ID into the thing and I'm away. I am. So as soon as you log in via touch ID, I guess on the brand new boot, you have to password in and then right. touch ID in. Yeah. But from there on. Yeah, precisely. So you leave a passphrase on and you use that configuration. So you don't have to type it in and ever on your local machine. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. And it's worked. It's worked great. Uh, I mean, and then from there, obviously you use the, uh, you can store your passphrase in your keychain with SSH add and you, there's a new flag before I forget what it was. Let's see if I have my notes correct here. It was something before and now it's dash dash Apple dash use dash keychain. That is the new flag they have for SSH add to add it to your keychain. Then you just do that and you point to your public ID or your public key mm-hmm. and it loads it there. And then to add your key to other machines, just SSH copy ID, which is ssh-copy-id, and then user at remote. Right, and I'll upload it. Exactly. So yeah. follow that process to set up your keychain, you know, your, your SSH key, put it in your keychain, your passphrase in your keychain, and then you know add your key to your other machines on your network. And I do that often. Like I'm always logging into the Linux box. I've got ZFS on there with a six-disc RAID, and uh, we're going to have uh, Matt Ahrens on change all soon so i'm hoping to geeky nerd out with him on that i hope i'm not too much of a fanboy honestly uh i've really been enjoying zfs it's pretty cool but i'm always logging into the machines you're a regular sysadmin man you're doing all the to some degree like i mean network administrator well you know i think when you run like a home lab i'm my home lab sysadmin yeah you know i run our unify setup i installed all of it i mean aside from I guess like some of the wiring for maybe one or two access points, it's all been done by me. I mean, Unify isn't that hard to get, really. But it's been fun. I manage our network. I enjoy it. Yeah. Pilehole's great. You know, having Pilehole on an actual Raspberry Pi is fun. It's running in Docker. So I guess in that case, I got my ops hat on. Been enjoying Docker. I got my Plex. Plex runs in Docker now, too. Too easy, man. It's been fun. Hacker. That's hacker. But no dot files for me. So like you, I have my dot files and I didn't 
pulling down. I just left them out there in the ether. Despite them being ZSH ready, I just kind of moved on to some of the things mm-hmm. I was doing before. Limiting and just in timing. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. It's a good chance to ask yourself, like, what do I really need and use versus just yeah. like whatever I used to do is fine. You know? See, for me, though, you mentioned calendaring, and I used to be a uh, – what was the calendar again you used? Fantastical. Fantastical. I used to be a Fantastical user, a diehard user. And then years ago when I had a conversation with this guy named Jared, he said, why are you using iTerm? And then so with that conversation of then question every other thing basically when it comes to like setting up a new machine. Yeah. So I'm like, why am I using Fantastical on my Mac? And so pretty much since then I've been using the calendar, which has been really great. And and I kept Fantastic out on my iPhone. Yeah. And now I don't use it there either because it's just it's just fine. Calendly does most of the work for us now. So true. Well, anything else noteworthy before we wrap this up? I think um, I didn't leave any comments here in this show because it's not about the pro display. I think the pro display is pretty awesome. I I didn't think I'd like it this much. I thought it would just be. The most expensive monitor I've ever bought in my life, basically. Um, but I didn't want to use the Mac. I didn't want to go from the iMac Pro with a 27-inch screen to a 14-inch screen just because. And What are you going to do with that. the iMac Pro? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to keep it? Or it's uh, Right now, it's still there in case I need to do RX stuff. Right. But let's, so, like, let's go six um, months from now or three it doesn't have now. It doesn't have a It doesn't have a plan yet. I don't know. Yeah. Like any machine you move away from recently, it's like, it's really valuable to you, but like no one else. Oh, I'm sure you could sell that iMac Pro to somebody and probably get decent money. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. And if that if that's the case, then that makes sense to do that. But, you know, I don't know. No plan for it yet, though. Yeah. But the Pro Display is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. It's easy to use, works great with the machine. You know, like the external monitor issue is always like this thing, you know, and so far it's been, it's been just great. So I can't complain about that. No other comments though about the M1 Mac. I think I'm happy with it. Happened to be on the M1 platform. Was really envious of everyone who jumped the ship early to the initial M1, but I'm glad that I waited Yeah. to, uh, to the new MacBook Pros. And I think I'll be even more excited whenever I have to like move around more often. So, so far this last week, I haven't moved around that often with the machine, but um, easy to take somewhere else. So like I have a great desktop setup and a great mobile setup in one single setup. So that's something I didn't have with the iMac Pro is I had to have a second machine essentially to go mobile. And that's kind of painful. So I'd say MacBook Pro forever, man. MacBook Pro forever. Mm-hmm.